Hey fellow brain pickers, how would you like to get featured as a guest on multiple podcast shows like this one and get massive exposure? Getfeatured.media will get you featured on targeted shows. They'll design a custom bio page, pitch you to the hosts, schedule a time, prepare you for the shows and promote you so you get even more brand exposure. Head over to getfeatured.media to get major publicity for your brand. Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow brain pickers, and welcome to episode 67 of Can I Pick Your Brain? Have you ever felt rejected? Well, my guest today went from being the kid in school that nobody wanted to sit next to, to becoming the man that the biggest influencers and celebrities want to sit with. The pain of rejection pushed him on a mission to find out how human beings tick, how they make decisions and why they do what they do. This fascination led him on crazy adventures, from inviting well-known actors and billionaires to dinner, to being crushed by a bull after slapping it on the behind. While some people may call him a madman, John Levy calls himself a human behavior scientist. John is the author of the critically acclaimed book, The 2AM Principle, and has been featured in all the major media outlets, including Forbes, Business Insider, and the New York Times, to name a few. I invite you to come on an epic adventure where you will find out the truth behind the mystery of what motivates us to make the choices we make. It is my absolute pleasure and honor to introduce you to the influencer of influencers, John Levy. John, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Daniel, I'm really excited to be here and I don't think I've ever been more flattered by a description anyone has ever given me. <laughs> so if you ever want me back on the show, consider it done Woo-hoo! because I feel like a million bucks right now. Are you serious? Okay, fine. I thought I left out like most of the things, like for example, the toe cleavage that you have. Oh, it, well, it's kind of gorgeous. It's, I think my <laughs> my uh, my biggest asset. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, th- that was super flattering. Thank you. Nope. I. Uh, and yeah, the, the story is true. I grew up incredibly unpopular. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, fortunately, a few people want to hang out with me these days. A few, yeah. So it, well, <laughs> it's been quite a journey. Only a few. You know, I tell you something, John, when, when I studied your background um, and how your teacher asked everyone in the class to pick someone to sit next to, and then you found out that nobody wanted to sit next to you, I actually had tears in my eyes because I was that kid. I, I had oh, the same. Uh, I had the same situation where um, I had to move uh, to a different class, and when I came in, um, the teacher asked me to sit down. And when I went to sit down, everybody kind of put their bag on their chair next to them, and so there there was nowhere essentially that I knew that there was nowhere for me to sit. And there was like this, like sixty seconds of it felt like eternity, but it felt like you know it was like sixty seconds where nobody let me sit next and then there was this one kid in the, like the nerdiest kid in the class in the back who kind of like motioned to me to sit next to him and I, I have to tell you like he is my savior <laughs> you know what I'm saying like he saved my life but yeah it's it's interesting because when you're that young uh 
for several reasons. Uh, school is your entire life. Uh, part of it is that you don't have anything besides being at school and maybe some activities and being at, with your family. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then another part is that your brain is not fully developed. So there are many sections that just don't exist that uh, would give you some perspective. Yeah. And yeah. So looking back at it, you're like, oh, that's sad. But like at the time, it's it's really heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, pretty much uh, growing up could be really cruel for a lot of people. Um, but I want to kind of fast forward to today because it's it's what you've done is is absolutely incredible. I mean, you host one of the most talked about dinners i think it's twice a month and it's called the influencers dinner just oh for- it's way more than that now that, back oh, in is. the day it was twice a month we okay. do uh four dinners a month wow and, and three salons okay and so it's uh it's really occupied a ton of my time <laughs> uh and it's kind of funny because it's um i run it all out of pocket as a contribution to people what are you kidding me Oh no, my no, goodness! It's, I thought uh, had- it's cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. I thought you had to pay to get in. No, no, there's no way to pay your way in. Oh my! Okay, uh, this is so. This is so much more exciting. First of all, can you explain for our listeners because they they this is this is the first time a lot of people are, are hearing about this. So, can you explain what it is and also how did it come about? Sure. So, uh, I was the origin story is that I was sitting in a seminar called Wisdom by this company called Landmark Education. And in the program, uh, the seminar leader one weekend said that the fundamental element that defines the quality of our lives are the people we surround ourselves with and the conversations that we have with them. Mm -hmm. Now, being a super geek, (laughs) I tracked down some research and by Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler, brilliant scientist, and they looked at the obesity epidemic and what they found was startling. They said that uh, if you have an obese friend, your chances of obesity increase by 45%. Whoa. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just that you have this massively increased chance of, of uh, body proportion. The fact is that your, your friends who don't know the obese person, their chances increase by 25%, their friends by 10%, and their friends by 5%. Whoa. So we have this That's crazy. massive... Yeah, it's crazy. This massive impact four degrees out on our communities. Hmm. But it doesn't only apply for weight gain or weight loss. It's also for uh, marriage and divorce rates, smoking habits, voting habits. All these things pass through our social networks. Right. And so I realized that if I want an extraordinary life, probably the most important thing I can do is figure out how to curate the right people around me. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, it seems that they have the greatest impact. And so I spent about a year studying and looking at the behavior of highly influential people and then developing a model for how to engage with them. And what I uh, discovered is that there's basic characteristics that when you put them in place, you'll get engagement. And from that, I created the influencers. Now, the influencers uh, start off as a dinner. Mm-hmm. There are um, basic characteristics to it. Uh, Twelve guests, they can't talk about what they do or give their last name. They cook dinner together. (laughs) And when they sit down to eat, everybody gets to guess what everybody else does. Oh, wow. And and then you find out that you've been 
uh, cooking dinner with a Nobel laureate and Olympic medalist and editor in chief of a major magazine. Oh my goodness, that's hilarious! Yeah, how do it's, you, it's been how, insanity. How do you get? How do you get these guests? I mean, <laughs> hi, you know. I mean, most most people listening to this wouldn't even know where to start. I mean, how would you get in touch with such big influencers? Um, how do you get them to your to your dinner? So in the early days, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I would I started off with some people I knew and tested out the idea and kept evolving it. Right, we've done over a hundred and something dinners at this point. Wow, um, we've done them in eight cities in two countries. Right, it's like a it's a well oiled machine. Mm-hmm. In the early days, um, for example, tonight I have a dinner. It is dinner number. Um, I don't have the number in here. Uh, I think it's 107. And um, and so it evolves over time. The fact is that everybody wants results tomorrow. And it takes, I would say, 7 to 10 years to do anything extraordinary. How long have you been doing this dinner for? Uh, seven years. Seven years. And your first guests, yeah. do you remember who they were? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were great. They were like a respected artist, but they weren't, you know, Jeff okay. Koons. They wow, were okay. a respected TV producer, but they weren't Tom DeSanto, who's done $4.5 billion in box office. Oh, my goodness. And all these. Right? And so it's, it's, it's uh, really elevated the level. At about year three, I knew I was really on to something because the New York Times wanted in. And I was like, no, it's okay. I don't need any press. <laughs> no. And they're like, no, we're the New York Times. And I was like, okay, fine. Are you kidding uh, me? No, no, I really didn't. I wanted to keep it private and secret and just like people who are on the inside. So but I to answer the question of yeah. how to get in touch with people, mm-hmm. it's way easier than anybody thinks. Most people's contact info is just available online. Mm-hmm. So do you just uh, shoot them an email? Yeah. yeah. Seriously. Uh, the difference is that I have a bunch of media about it. And so those people who are kind of in the know have heard of it mm-hmm. at this point. Because, you know, when you I've hosted a thousand people across countless industries. I want to get and to so, understand why, though, because in terms of so there's a few there's a number of questions running through my head right now. First of all, the rules. What is mm-hmm. with the rules? Why why can't they know who's going to be? I mean, I, right? If you want to throw a big party, the first thing you do, right, is you get a big influencer, okay, like Jay Z, and then you say to everybody, "Hey, guess who's going to be at the party? Jay Z is going to be at the party." And then now all of you know the big influencers are going to come, and the more influencers you get to go, the more people go, and it's a snowball effect. With you, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot by not telling people who's going to be at the party. So I think that there's two aspects to that. Uh, the first is, if you tell me that Jay-Z is going to be at a party, unless it's a 10 or 12 person party, I'm not interested in going. Mm-hmm. Because then the reason that everybody is there is Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. And it's not about the social interaction. It's not about meeting and bonding with people. So everybody's right. going to be sitting around darting eyes at Jay-Z pretending to be in a conversation with you. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I'd rather go to a party that has nothing to do with a celebrity and just hang out. Now, that's one thing. Okay. The second thing is that if you develop a reputation as a curator, then people will trust you. So it's our absolute policy to never tell people who's going to be there. 
And I've had very high profile people say, listen, uh, I just need to know who's coming in order to evaluate <laughs> yeah. my time. Yeah. And I say, great, then it's, this isn't the right match for you. You've turned like, people I down. I get it. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's totally fine. Because I, I'm not doing it for some direct personal gain. Right? I, my life has become incredible as a byproduct of it. Mm -hmm. I've got to go to the Emmys, the Grammys. I get to spend my time with top thought leaders and Nobel laureates. I have a life I'm incredibly grateful for. Mm -hmm. But it's not like I'm targeting everybody because I have a specific need for them. Everybody's across industry. I have no intention of becoming a music artist, so it doesn't matter how many Grammy Award-winning producers I have. Right. Um, so it's it's more that the reason they don't talk about it is that their work is that it's it's a way to get people to experience this level of social equality so mm -hmm. that nobody feels more important than somebody else. Now, granted, sometimes it's impossible not to have the guest be recognized. Uh, if I have a host of a popular TV show, mm -hmm. uh, but I had a very, very well-known uh, personality come in and they just went by their middle name and it messed with everybody's uh, <laughs> like nobody recognized them it's so, so funny why cooking why do they have to cook the meal together there, there's something behind that what is that i so i want to be very clear it's not a good meal like i don't recommend that it's activity good meal. Uh, it isn't it just um i recommend any activity okay i recommend building a house or i recommend taking a hike together I recommend something that requires people to come together around a common cause. Because ultimately, that's what builds community. Right? When you look at our evolution of our species, we were small communities of, from what I understand, under 150 people for the most part. And we had to work together in order to survive. Mm -hmm. And it's that interdependence, that camaraderie that creates community. And so I think that, frankly, dinner parties are a terrible idea uh, because you're locked in with the people directly next to you and it's very hard to have conversation. Right. Uh, I think that people just do it because it's easy to justify not working during dinner. <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting you bring that up because for people listening who are running a business, you know, one of pretty much the standard thing that everybody does when they're going to go uh, meet a client is like you said, they'll go for a dinner or they'll go for coffee. You're saying no, take them on a hike, right? Which is, yeah. it's strange, I think, right? Um, and I'm not even saying a hike. Go for a walk. Go, like, it doesn't have to be complicated. Go mm -hmm. pottery painting. I don't even know, but right. do something. And the reason is, and I'm, I kind of want to get onto the research side of things because I think it'll provide a lot of value. Yeah. There's, what we have is called, um, we, we as human beings respond to novelty, things that are different. And when we're exposed to novelty, we, and our brain systems literally uh, respond by remembering the experience more. But it's not just the novel characteristic that's remembered more. It's everything. It's the people. It's the conversation. It's the smells. It's the tastes. It's the activities. It's everything. And so if you want to stand out, do something novel or different, and then you'll be remembered more, even if it's just the halo effect. It's, uh, and you should enjoy the halo effect. It's often referred to also as the misattribution of arousal. People will misattribute their heightened state 
with you rather than just the experience. Mm. And so going back to when you were a kid and you felt that rejection and you decided mm. that you wanted to become a human behavior scientist because you wanted to figure out, you know, what makes people cool, what, you know, what makes people, you know, accept you, right? What makes you become mm -hmm. acceptable? What makes you become an influencer? Can you talk about some of the things that you picked up along the way? In other words, one of the things I, I would like, how, what makes someone cool, for example? So I wish I could answer that. <laughs> uh, it seems that social approval makes someone cool. So the moment that people say they're cool or those that we've um, defined as cool say they're cool, then they become cool. It's this ephemeral characteristic that constantly escapes. I frankly don't think I'm cool at all. I uh, think you're cool. I, <laughs> I would say, I, would say I, I think that what I do is interesting things. I think that I know some really cool people, but there are people who like, they dress a certain way and they like stand a certain way and they, they like, I have this friend, Ryan Leslie, yeah. like he physically cannot move without me going like, wow, that guy is like, the coolest guy and he's a musical artist he's a genius he i think graduated or went to harvard at 14 or something like that he's like he's incredible but that guy's cool i think you know i'm i'm a pretty interesting person i think i do really interesting things mm -hmm. i i think i'm engaging and fun but that guy's cool Did right you like right it's a different scale completely what what makes an influencer for those listening that they want to become an influencer they want to be someone that you know i guess people look up to and want to be around how how do you become an influencer uh so i think we really want to define what we mean by influencer and right. i spend a lot of time researching this or looking at it i don't mean like in a laboratory setting i mean like actually looking at uh and thinking about what are the different types of influence that we have? I Let's start off with, I don't consider somebody with a large social media following an influencer in most cases. Okay. The reason is that most of them are what we call micromedia outlets. It's like they're a news site, but what they post are memes or photos of them in bathing suits or something like that. Right. They aren't influential. They're not demonstrating any thought leadership. Now, they might be influential within their industry, right? So, but their social media accounts are micromedia outlets. If you want to engage with them as a brand, you have to pay. Just like if you want to be in the New York Times and you want to have an ad, you have to right. pay. Mm -hmm. So, let's put them aside. An influencer, as I define it, is somebody who has an ability to impact an industry. And... They either do that through position, previous success, or thought leadership. Meaning, I could be a tech journalist and be an influencer in the tech industry. Mm -hmm. I could hold a position, right? I'm the CTO of Facebook. That's a influential position in the tech industry. Yep. Or I could have sold a major ad tech company. And because of previous success, I've garnered respect in the industry. Mm-hmm. And I I see those as the most basic levels of uh of impact that you can create. 
Now, the different levels of influence I see as global influencers, uh, which are people who have a global impact. Mm-hmm. They're uh, Bill Clinton, Sir Richard Branson, Oprah. Then uh, the next level from there are industry influencers, like what we just discussed. Right. And then uh, community influencers. These people are the up-and-coming people. They might have... Uh, might be the head of a school system. They might be your priest or rabbi or imam. <laughs> uh, but they have a, a group of people who are who are dedicatedly listening to them. Right. <clears throat> and then you have your personal influencers. Like, chances are nobody knows who my mom is, but she has a huge impact on my life. Right. And right. so I I think it's important that there's, when we're discussing influence, it's not so cut and dry. It's not that you're either an influencer or not. It's that there are different levels and each person's striving for the next and uh, they have different characteristics on how to engage them and uh, how they impact your life. Mm. And you talk about um, going on epic adventures. What does epic stand for? Uh, so uh, throughout all of this time running the dinners and uh, everything, I also have this huge passion for exploration, exploration. Uh, and so I spent years traveling around the world looking at what causes people to live exciting and remarkable lives. Right. And I've realized that every adventure follows a predictable four-stage process. Uh, each stage has specific characteristics that when you apply them, make life exciting. Mm-hmm. And so the stages are established where you put the right elements in place so that anything can happen. Established, stage okay. two, yes. Uh, stage two is push boundaries. As I define it, an adventure can only be an adventure if it's remarkable and exciting, if it's uh, if it possesses risk mm-hmm. and adversity, yep. and if it causes you to grow. You have to push yourself outside of your comfort zone because any great hero's journey, if you look at it, they come out different at the end than when they started. Hmm. And so you have to push boundaries. You have to cross some kind of social, physical, or emotional boundary. Right. Speaking about boundaries, by the way, you, you, you slapped a raging bull on, the, on, the, on, the, on his behind? I mean, uh, <laughs> yes. I, I may have had poor judgment at the time. I, there's this thing called the winner effect. It's kind of this uh-huh. odd quirk of human behavior. Okay. Actually, more of uh, biochemistry. Right, And it turns out that when you experience a win, your body floods with testosterone, yeah. which prepares you for your next challenge. It makes it more likely that you'll win. And if this keeps happening, then you eventually feel like you're invincible. Hmm. Uh, so I went through the running of the bulls. I made it through just fine, but I was totally high on testosterone and <laughs> adrenaline, dopamine. And uh, so I see that they let, I'm in the stadium. I see that they let bulls back in one at a time. And I was like, oh, what would be a good idea <laughs> to do is to touch one. So I run up to it and I touch it on its side. Oh I run away God. and I was like, oh, that was amazing. What's next? <laughs> and so that bull leaves and another bull comes in and I see people are like slapping them on their butt. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so I run up to a bull and I slap it on its butt. I run away and like, I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible. <laughs> and I see that the way that the bulls enter the stadium is that people line up on the ground and they jump over them. What? And so I take the so, safest so, position I can. Say that again. And what? Someone, you jump over the bull? No, the bull jumps over you. What? You're uh-huh. kidding me. 
So there's <laughs> these two gates. You lie down on the ground, and a bull runs and jumps over you. At oh least my. that's what they're supposed to do. So I take the God. the safest position I can. And the next thing I know, I am uh, I see the bull coming at me, and <laughs> I see that it loses its footing, slips, no, and no. misses its jump. And the no. next thing I know, I feel nothing. I lose all feeling in my torso, oh my and I God. think I'm either paralyzed or dead, or dying. Oh my God! Uh, and I'm shouting at my limbs to move, and nothing is happening. Oh, and the man. next thing I know. I have, uh, I uh, am having this conversation with myself and all of time had stopped. And I'm like, listen, John, you may have just totally screwed your life. Uh, you might spend the rest of it in a wheelchair. Whoa. And I'm like, you know, I would have never been happy. This was a fluke. I would have never been happy playing it safe. If I'm in a wheelchair, I can accept that. Wow. I somehow managed to stand up and there was something really clearly a problem in my torso. <clears throat> and um, I end up uh, going into triage and I start going unconscious. And yeah, I ended up in triage in an emergency room in a wheelchair uh, going through the airports because I couldn't carry my own bags and six months of physical therapy. Mm -hmm. It was just a mess. Wow. And so, yeah. Talk about pushing your boundaries. My goodness. So, so EPIC is EPI. So what does I stand for? Increase. You want to maximize Increase. the value of the environment you're in mm -hmm. uh, before you move on. And then uh, last but not least is continue. You choose where to go next, and there's a series of characteristics you look at. Mm -hmm. and, uh, or you end with style. Now, if you go somewhere next, you loop back through the process. And Can you give me an example? I just want to sort of paint a picture because I, I, I hear it, but I, for, for the sake of our listeners, give me mm -hmm. an example of going through all four stages of EPIC. Sure. So, <clears throat> so uh, the first stage, establish. You set up um, the right group of people in a new location. So I grab my best friend, Liam. Mm -hmm. uh, we take ourselves through uh we're traveling through europe we are in uh stockholm arlanda airport and okay. we're going through duty free okay so we're in a new location um the ideal situation i also have some kind of mission or constraints but i've picked my team my team is me and liam okay or liam and I. uh no me and so <laughs> i'm going through duty free and uh there's the woman behind the counter asks for my ticket and I pass it to her. And she goes, oh, Israel. And you can just say, yeah. Or you can push boundaries. You can say, yeah, do you want to come? What? What and do you mean? she says, yes. And I say, great, then come. And Hold she on, says, well, I'm a grad student. And that's really <laughs> Is this exciting. a true story? This is absolutely a true story. You went up to a, 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 a what is she, a, a stewardess at the, the, um, on the plane? Or is she just at checkout, the woman at checkout? The woman at checkout at the duty-free counter. So you just in randomly asked this random woman you've never met to go with, for her to come with you. Uh huh. And she <laughs> said, "Well, I'm a grad student, and it's really expensive." And I said, "What if I paid for your trip?" You're and mad. she said, "Okay." <laughs> and so I pulled up my phone, and we started finding flights. What the freak? Why? 
Why? Um, why not? <laughs> because you can get arrested. I don't know. How for what? What am I getting arrested for? Uh, uh, harassment. Um, I, I'm not. She sh- said she'd love to, but she's a grad <laughs> student. So I said, "Great, I'll pay for your trip." There was definitely no harassment. <laughs> How do you overcome that feeling in the pit of your stomach that says, "No, don't do this"? Uh, I don't know if I ever overcome it. I just don't necessarily accept that it's in control. So it is saying it. It is you are hearing the voice in your head oh, saying, "Oh my God, yeah, John, are you kidding? Stop, I'm human. I I hear right. it all the time. I right. hear it more so than anybody probably you know because I'm constantly putting myself in terrible situations. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> uh, the the difference is that you can acknowledge that that's a consideration and move forward. Wow. Okay, so you've done E, you've got P, you've pushed your boundaries. This woman now is coming with you on a trip. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so how do you increase? Well, over the course of time, she comes the next day, she arrives uh, in Israel. And so how do you increase? Well, we were walking down the boardwalk of, of Eilat, which is a resort city in the south of uh, I, I know Tel Aviv. Well. I know Tel Aviv, uh, south of Israel. <laughs> and... Um, and there's this famous bridge there on the boardwalk. Yeah. And so I turned to her at one point as we're crossing it at like one o'clock in the morning <laughs> or whatever time it was. And I say, I, I'm going to strip down to my underwear oh my goodness. Uh, and pass it to Liam. I think you should do the same. Oh, my goodness. Now, you've been to, she has no idea what's going on, right? I, but you've been to that bridge. I'm guessing you know what's about to happen. Oh, my God. <laughs> do you know what's going to happen next? I don't want to know what's going to happen. I live in Israel, but I've, I've and I've been to Elat um, on one vacation, but I don't think I know what happens on that bridge. But I'm about to find out. So I take her by the hand, oh, and we climb over the safety railing. An entire <laughs> crowd of people has now gathered around us. And you're in a nude. Uh, we're in our underwear. Okay, and you're in the. <laughs> oh my god! And I say, at the count of three, we're going to jump. Okay. And she goes, you can't be serious. And I go, one, two, three. And we're, you know, barreling down towards the water. We have to climb up the rocks, push our way through the crowd of people, get dressed and run to the far side of the boardwalk before the police catch us because it's illegal uh-huh. to, to go bridge jumping. In but, you know, the, the point is that there's always ways to increase. There's a, you, there are always, you can use challenges, you can use um, uh, entertainment, you can use... Uh, surprises. There's plenty of ways you can do it, and I go through all of it in my book. Uh, but there's so many more exciting things to be done wherever we are than we give credit for. Hmm. And so a lot of it's about just being creative and building the muscle of how to think about these environments. So that was so, your increase. So jumping off the bridge was your increase. And what was the C, the continuous? Uh, the continue, you have to pick where to go next. And so... Okay. Uh, you want to look at the risk and unpredictability of the next location, right? So a nightclub is highly predictable. Hmm. The risk is maybe not getting in, but you know what's going to happen inside. Yeah. There's going to be loud music, people drinking. There's, you know, whereas sneaking into a public playground might have greater risk and greater unpredictability because if the cops come, you could end up in jail. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or if you, uh, an example of, of, um, Increasing risk and unpredictability. I 
while I was traveling through the south of France, I dropped myself off in Nice alone. I didn't speak the language, didn't know anybody, didn't have a place to sleep, and either I'd convince a stranger to put me up for the night or I'd sleep on the street. Did you have money with you? Yeah, I had some cash, but okay. the challenge was that I had to make friends. Oh, you challenged yourself saying that I'm not going to sleep in a hotel or a motel. If I don't get put up, I'm not, I'm not going to sleep anywhere. I'm going to sleep on, on the street. That's yes. a challenge you set for yourself. Correct. Oh, you're crazy. Okay, go. <laughs> yes, <sighs> I am. Yeah. I love it. So, so what happened? <laughs> uh, I ended up, uh, after a lot of trial and error, uh, being put up by a, a group of um, British guys, coincidentally. Uh, <laughs> okay. And they were like extended members of royal families and no all this way. crazy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we ended up at a three-story chateau on the border of Monaco with like what? a full service staff. It was craziness. <laughs> and I literally thought I'd be sleeping on the cobblestones of Nice. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's a, what do you mean also by end in style? Because that sounds very interesting. What do you mean by end in style? So uh, if you are going to continue, you loop through and mm -hmm. you keep looping through until the key is to end with style. Okay. Now, the reason the ending is so important, and here's just a classic example. Yeah. Um, are you married? I am married <laughs> with four children. Ten-year anniversary four was just... Four children? Yeah, I'm wow. very blessed. I'm very blessed. Now that's Thank quite you. an adventure. Mm -hmm. So. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you something, John, all right? Your little adventures with the bull slapping and the niece and all that doesn't compare to one night with putting my kids to bed, all right? <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, it sounds like a, a health and safety hazard. Yeah. Um, okay, so um, imagine <clears throat> back in your single days. You're going out on a date Mm -hmm. uh, you're having, it's like three hours long. It's the most incredible date you've ever been on. Mm. And you're about to lean in for the kiss and your uh, stomach, you know, you've got the butterflies in your stomach. Yeah. And you're totally head over heels for this person. And just as you're about to lean in, um, you look deep into the person's eyes and they say the most awful thing you have ever heard in your life. Oh, nightmare. Okay. And so you go home and your friend says, good date or bad date. What do you say? Terrible. Mm -hmm. Except it wasn't. It was three hours of perfection and three seconds of terrible. Right. So mm -hmm. why is it then terrible? You're only and as good as your is, last performance. I'm sorry? You're only as good as your last performance, right? Same principle? Exactly. Which is that we disproportionately value the peaks of experiences and how they end. Hmm. And so, if you don't end on a good note, you'll remember the entire experience poorly. Yeah, it sounds like me and my wife on most of the dates we go on. <laughs> <laughs> do you manage to always screw it up, Daniel? Why did you do it? Why? Yes, um, I need a, yeah. I need to go on a date with my wife tonight and then take into account what you just said and make sure it ends epically, as they say. I, it doesn't even, it could just end with like a small surprise. Get right. her like, have some flowers hidden somewhere. Oh, that's boring. Come something. on, John, you could do better than that. Flowers, come on. Sure, but I'm thinking like, <laughs> without much planning, that one's easy. Right. 
right? The, yeah. the surprises go a long way. And let me ask you a question. When was the last time you got your wife flowers? I mean, oh, you might be a... So I'll tell you something. Interesting enough, in the Jewish tradition, every Saturday, a husband... Oh, I, Friday, actually. Friday, every, every Friday, the husband is supposed to bring their wife flowers home. That's like a tradition. The problem is, I suck at picking flowers. So after a number of years of us being married, my wife said to me, all right, enough, okay? Just let me buy the flowers. So now she buys herself flowers every Friday. And the same goes for jewelry and the same goes for everything else. <laughs> so you, you romantics, you. I am a romantic. Well, listen, I surprise her with other things, you know? Um, we won't go into details, but, I, you know, I take care of her and we have a good time and... Yeah, life is definitely not boring. Let's put it that way. So you wrote your book, speaking about not being boring, um, you, you wrote about the 2 p.m. principle, which when I saw 2 that... 2 a.m. The 2 a.m. Sorry, yeah, the 2 p.m. is very boring. The 2 a.m. <laughs> principle. Um, can you elaborate on that? What, what do you mean by the 2 a.m. principle? Uh, I'm a believer that nothing good happens after 2 a.m., except the most epic experiences of your life. Meaning, either you should have just gone home, mm -hmm. or you're like in this crazy party with insane people, or all of a sudden crashing in some three-story uh, chateau on the border of Monaco, or hanging out with some random uh, Swedish woman who worked at Duty Free, right? It's like, either <laughs> right. it just sh you should have just called it, or you're, or it's incredible. Okay. Uh, and when I say it's, it's the most epic experience of your life, I'm talking establish, push boundaries, increase, continue, the four stages of an adventure. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I should note is that 2 a.m. is different in different cities, right? So in, in Boston, 2 a.m. is really more like 1 a.m. Mm. Uh, in Vegas, 2 a.m. might be 3, you know, so it, it, or later. So it really depends on the culture and the city. But there is this cutoff in every city or town about when you should just either call it or make <laughs> it extraordinary right what's the most extraordinary thing that's happened to you after 2 a.m 2, 2 oh wow that's <laughs> <laughs> i i don't even know where to begin that's, uh, there's 16 chapters in the book are you serious of, and they're uh 16 stories uh-huh and uh, almost all of them have something, or most of them have parts that happen after 2 a.m. And those are just the stories that made it into the book. There's probably oh like another goodness. 30 or 40 that could have easily made it in, uh, just for lack of space. Um, oh, wow. What's the most memorable so, one? When, 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 I, when I asked you the question, what's the first thing that comes to your head when I say the most memorable thing that happened after 2 a.m.? What first comes to your head? Um, I would probably say uh one of two things one is that story at duty free happened okay. at 5 17 or something a.m okay. i was coming from a nightclub or a bar probably a bar in stockholm because mm -hmm. it was um <clears throat> uh, it was i think a thursday morning and wednesday night is like their party night in stockholm it's it's like a little saturday or something like that yep and uh and so that was the the person that ended up traveling with us, Elsa, was just such a good human being. And it was such a remarkable experience. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So that's uh, one. And I think that there were f- f- like these wild stories where I ended up like battling Kiefer Sutherland in drunken Jenga at <laughs> what? three in the morning. Hold on, one second. Kiefer Sutherland, isn't that, uh, what's his name from uh, 24? Yep. Jack, Jack Bauer. Bauer. You wrestled with Jack Bauer. In, no, in Jenga. In Jenga. Not in like, we never got into a wrestling match or anything like that. <laughs> okay, we battled okay. out in, in Jenga. <laughs> I was uh, going to say, because my but, wife will be very jealous. But uh, <laughs> as a byproduct of like drinking with him, it was a week before Thanksgiving, we ended up inviting one another to each other's Thanksgiving dinners. And so me and my brother show up, but he had forgotten that he had invited us. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> No, he was a gentleman. He was great about the whole thing. That's so awkward. What's one of the funniest things that have happened or awkward or embarrassing in one of the dinners that you run? Oh, dinners? Yeah. Um, embarrassing almost never. I can't, okay. That doesn't even... Uh, <clears throat> but there are these occasional extraordinary moments where a guest will turn to the one of the guests next to them and say something like, there's no way you'll remember this. But I emailed you 10 years ago asking what I should do with my career. And you said that I should go into um, research. And I did. And it was a famous neuroscientist said it to Daniel Kahneman, the Nobel laureate. What? Wow. Uh, and so there are these kind of like heartwarming moments where I bring people together in the most unexpected ways. But it's not something I could predict. It's amazing. And do you keep in touch with everyone that comes? Or is it just a one-time thing? You get together no, and no, that's no. it? You they, keep they're in invited touch. back for stuff all the time. How do you follow up with the people that you have at your dinners? Um, okay. So I believe in event-to-event uh, management, meaning mm-hmm. that... I can't spend personal time with all 1,000 guests, and it grows every month by another 40, 50 people. Right. So I have to do it on an event basis. So we have an event called The Salon, which is a cultural exchange, and a lot of them are invited back to that, and it's open to other people, and it's people from all walks of life, ranging from students to, you know, Nobel Prize winners. Mm. Um, Wow. Then we do specialized custom events for them. Uh, we do partnerships with brands and fun stuff like that. Cool. So, for, it, right. uh, so it, it's really about bringing them together and continuing to grow the community. And then I get a few minutes with each of them. Do you have like a selection process for people wanting to come to the dinner or the salon? Like for those listening now that they're like, oh my God, I'd love to come. It's in New York, right? Yeah. The salon's pretty open. Uh, okay. We try to do it as a public service. Okay. Uh, we do a, a little bit of a background check on people to make sure that they're not like racist or something. <laughs> yet. Like, uh, but right. most people behave themselves and act very well. Okay. Um, because, for my listeners, oh, yeah. Um, and then for the dinners, there's a board of people who votes because I'm not qualified to know every industry who the influential people are. Like if you yeah. ask me who's the most important person in the modern art space these days, I'm just not sure. Mm-hmm. And so I have people who are the art experts who give me a yes or yay or nay on people. Got it. So for the dinners, it's very exclusive and you have to be an influencer in the industry. And for the salon, it's sort of open season as long as you haven't murdered anybody. Great. So for my listeners that want to come to or the salon... Or that you're not uh, like a... You're not super... Uh, like... 
awkward and uncomfortable. Right? So right. if you're there just to be like, oh, I want to meet people to sell them stuff, that's not the right place because it's a community-based activity. Got it's it. Let's explore ideas, have conversation that can have an impact on something greater than just ourselves. <coughs> Got it. Um, okay. But, yeah, that's basically so, it. So for my listeners that want to come to one of these events, a salon, how do they do that? What do they have to do? Um, so there's going to be a form put up in the near future where they can kind of just apply. And uh, uh, so right now the process is being redone. But uh, if you probably go to my website, there'll be a link uh, in the near future that you can just say, hey, I'd like to come. And then uh, just because there's far, far, far more demand than there is availability, mm-hmm. then we can't provide access to everybody. So Got it's it. nothing personal. Like it's not... It's not like you'll get invited if you have a Ivy League degree or something. I don't care about yeah. any of that stuff. I don't have an Ivy League degree. Oh. Um, it's okay. more just a random selection as long as you're not crazy. Okay, so for those of you listening that want to um, go to John's website, if you go to my um, <clears throat> my website, danielgeffen.com, and it's going to be forward slash 67. So it's danielgeffen.com forward slash 67. I'll put that in the show notes. And also there'll be a link to John's book, The 2AM Principle. John, that's on Amazon, right? I could just get a link from there. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's Amazon, Barnes & Noble, like any place books are sold. Brilliant. And any other way they can get in touch with you? What's the easiest way for them to get in touch with you through social or email? If you go to my website, John Levy TLB, that's J O N L E V Y T like Thomas L like Lion B like Boy mm-hmm. uh, dot com, or John Levy TLB on Instagram, Twitter, all those. I try to respond to everything, uh, but please excuse me since I travel so much. I mm-hmm. was just in Cuba. I was just off the grid for a week. Cuba. So if I don't respond right away, please don't be insulted. Cool. Well, thank you. This is John. John, this has been absolutely incredible. And uh, thank you so much for letting me pick your brain. And thank you to all my fellow brain pickers. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.